It's James Golden, a.k.a. Post Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza here at WABC with James Golden, Mr. Snurdly. 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us if you'd like to be part of today's program. 800-848-9222. And we will have, uh, let's see, news, fun, maybe a little bit of frivolity, I don't know. Let us start, though, with an arrest or a series of arrests that were made last night at the Capitol. A group associated with the would-be, well, let me be nice, strike that. A group associated with the CBS late-night, in quotes, I'll put, comedy show, Stephen Colbert, was arrested last night in the Capitol. Uh, They were initially on location and the Capitol building about the time the Democrats were leading their kangaroo court, that January 6th kangaroo court committee. And uh, they were then wandering around the building. They were apparently from the news reports I, I have seen, and there are multiple reports on this, they were invited in by members, a few Democrats, and then left to wander around, which they were... They did not have the press, the proper press credentials. And then, after hours, they were still around. Now, apparently, from some reports, they were banging on doors, causing uh, a disruption, and they were trying to, of course, harass certain Republican members of Congress, at which time they were arrested and held overnight. This is a crew. That, again, is with Stephen Colbert, CBS, late night. Of course, they were released. They have now been released, charged with illegal uh, un- entry, unlawful entry. And there may be pending other pending charges. Among those in the group was Robert Schmigel, known for being the man behind the triumph, the insult comic dog. None of which makes sense to me because I don't watch this crap. I, I just, I can't take Colbert at all. I, to me, he's never been funny. He's not funny now. He's a self-righteous, smug liberal in my point of view. And we'll all have our point of views, and it doesn't mean he's like that. It just means that I perceive him like that. Anyway, i just like to pose this question to you. What if, instead of a CBS News crew that was just kept in banging on the doors of, of, of Republicans, what if, what if, it was Tucker Carlson's news crew, and they were not credentialed to be there at that time. Or let's do a better what if. What if this were a crew, a television crew, from some right wing or, or perceived as a conservative publication maybe, and suppose they had red MAGA hats on, and they were banging on doors 
let's say they were even banging on Liz Cheney's door or they were banging on Adam Schiff's door or they were banging on the door of members of the Congressional Black Caucus or they were banging on the doors of other prominent Democrats. Suppose they had gone up and were banging on Nancy Pelosi's door. Do you think that they would have been picked up, taken over to the D.C. jail, hustled out of there after spending a few hours in there and released? Or do you think that they would be right now charged with insurrection? Oh, you're making, you're going overboard with this. No, I am not. What we have been told ever since January 6th is that illegal entry to the, to the Capitol is an insurrection and that it needs to be punished harshly. And by the way, I've been one of those that have said on numerous occasions that if you go into the Capitol and you're not supposed to be there and you're causing a disruption or vandalism, you should be punished. Why are these members of a liberal TV crew let out of jail? Why are they walking around right now? Where is CBS with an apology? Where's Stephen Colbert with an apology for sending his goons, apparently his TV, his TV crew set up as goons to harass politicians? Why is there no apology from him? Where, who got the order? Who delivered this order that sent these people there? Did Colbert tell them to go there? And if he did, will he be blamed for this insurrection? Did it come higher up from CBS producers, from CBS, maybe the head of CBS? Will he be blamed for, well, you're being ridiculous. No. I mean, after all, President Trump didn't tell these people to go in there and cause of hell, and yet they're trying to criminalize, and, and, and these Democrats on this kangaroo court are trying to say that Donald Trump deserves to have the DOJ indict him or or at least have criminal referrals brought up to him. Should we have a criminal referral for Stephen Colbert? Or is it just because they were trying to disrupt Republicans that maybe we all understand and they're part of some comedy group that they should be let free? Uh, I think if I were running which I am not, if I am running things in Washington, D.C. as a Republican, I would not let this go. In fact, I'd be all over this, like white on rice, so to speak. There is, um, I want to talk about COVID, and I know that the COVID thing is over. Most of us are tired of it. Yesterday on the program, in the final moments of our program yesterday, we played two sound bites. There was a story in BizPack Review or American Wire, one of them, about Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci. I saw part of that exchange, and it is a lengthy exchange. We have two two-minute cuts, roughly two minutes. But this is about vaccinations, and it's about vaccinations for children. And let me set this up. Ron DeSantis has taken another brave stance, the the governor of Florida. He has refused to commit Florida 
to the federal government's plan to vaccinate children five years and younger. And that has House Majority Whip James Clyburn in an outrage. He's demanding somehow, as if he has any authority whatsoever, which he doesn't under our separation of powers. He's demanding that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reverse or explain his decision after Governor DeSantis declined to order COVID vaccinations for children under five years old. Clyburn sent a letter to Governor DeSantis saying he was concerned about DeSantis's public comments that he is opposed to dedicating any state resources to vaccinating young children against COVID-19. Now, first of all, Mr. Clyburn, it's none of your damn business. You are in the federal government. Ron DeSantis runs Florida. You have no say over what Ron DeSantis decides as the governor of his state. That aside, Mr. Clyburn stressed that every state in the union but Florida has ordered vaccines after the FDA on Friday gave the green light to COVID-19 vaccines for children five years and younger. Mr. Clyburn said that because of the governor's deliberate inaction, pediatricians and family doctors across Florida are currently unable to order doses. Really? There's not going to be any state programs. They're going to be trying to get COVID jabs to infants and toddlers and newborns. That's what DeSantis said on Thursday. That's not something we think is appropriate. And so that's not where we're going to be utilizing our resources. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. Starting with the money. Who is paying for these vaccines? Who is making a profit from these vaccines that are supposed to be going into the bodies of five-year-old human beings and younger? And that we will discuss a little bit later. But let us listen to the exchange to put all of this in a larger umbrella. And you'll have to listen carefully to this because there is some jargon here that you may not understand, but I, you're going to get the gist of this. Let's start with cut seven, Diego, Fauci, and Rand Paul. Hit it. Dr. Fauci, the government recommends uh, everybody take a booster over age five. Are you aware of any studies that show reduction in hospitalization or death for children who take a booster? Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. the I believe that the recommendation that was made was based on the assumption that if you look at the morbidity and mortality of children within each of the age groups, you know, 0 so, to 5, 5 to 11. Right. So, so, that's, so there, there are no studies, and Americans should all know this, there are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster. The only studies that were permitted, the only studies that were presented, were antibody studies. So they say, if we give you a booster, you make antibodies. Now, a lot of scientists would question whether or not that's proof of efficacy of a vaccine. If I give you 10, or if I give a patient 10 mRNA vaccines, and they make protein each time, or they make antibody each time, is that proof that we should give 10 boosters, Dr. Fauci? Uh, no, that, I think that is somewhat of an absurd exaggeration. 
Senator well, that Paul. is the proof that you use. Your committees use that. That's the only proof you have to tell children to take a booster is that they make antibodies. So it's right. not an there absurdity. Are. You're already no. at like five boosters for people. You've had, you know, two or three boosters. It's like, where is the proof? Now, I think there is yeah. probably some indication for older folks that have some risk factors. For younger folks, there's not. But here's the yeah. other thing. There are some risk factors for, for the vaccine. So the risk of myocarditis with a second dose for adolescent boys, 12 to 24, is about 80 in a million. This is both from the CDC and from the Israeli study. It's also in the VAR study, remarkably similar, for boys, much higher from boys than girls and much higher than the background. The background's about two per million. So there is risk and there are risks. And you're telling everybody in America just blindly go out there because we made antibodies. So it is not an absurd corollary to say if you have 10. In fact, you probably make antibodies if you get 100 boosters. All right? That's not science. That's conjecture. And we should not be making public policy on it. And that, my friends, is a stunning exchange. I want to try to just simplify this a little bit and just put it in my language. And again, I am not a doctor, so if I misstate something here, I will depend on those of you who are doctors and medical professionals to correct me. But as my understanding of this goes, and I have read enough to know that what I'm about to tell you is factual information. This is factual. The number of five-year-olds in America who have died because of COVID, five and younger, statistically is zero. Zero point one percent. And yet, this government is demanding that although we have had 0.1% deaths of children under the age of five who have contracted COVID, that every five-year-old gets a vaccine. So they're getting a vaccine for something that could not kill them, according to statistics. Now, you ought to ask yourself, why? Why are they demanding this? And Ron DeSantis is saying, we're not going to do this. We're not going to put state resources paying for vaccines for children who don't need vaccines. And now the Democrat, James Colburn, is up in arms about it. We have to take a break. When we come back, we have another more in, just as interesting, just as interesting exchange between Rand Paul, who, by the way, in case you don't know, is a doctor. And Dr. Fauci. We'll be right back. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on the air. 77 WABC. David Bowie brings us back on Saturday morning. Let's dance. Omar Hakeem playing drums here. Omar is going to be playing in an amazing concert. One of the people playing in it. Well, more about that later. There's going to be one in London and one in L.A. Foo Fighters. Getting back to where we were with... Dr. Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci. 
and James Coburn, Clyburn, who insisted Governor DeSantis is wrong to not invest Florida's resources resources in buying tons and tons of vaccinations for children five years old and younger. Clyburn pushed back on on Governor uh, DeSantis' statements that vaccines are pretty much not needed for young kids. He stressed, Clyburn did, that despite COVID-19 infections posing less of a risk to younger children, the risk factor is significantly above zero. That's what he's saying, and that is not true. The number of deaths, well, maybe it is true if you parse it. He's saying the risk factor. The risk factor for what? For catching the disease is above zero? Okay, fine. But 0.1% of children below the age of five have died from COVID. Now, Clyburn says that more than 2,600 American children under the age of five have been hospitalized with COVID-19. 442 have died from the disease. He says that even mild coronavirus infections can cause serious long-term effects for children, such as multi-system inflammatory syndrome, a rare but potentially deadly inflammatory disorder, a long COVID, which can cause severe fatigue, cognitive difficulties, muscle, joint pain, and other symptoms that could persist for months, he says. Well, Mr. Clyburn, where is the information about what what vaccines do to young children? Where is that information? Or do you have that information, Mr. Clyburn? Does Dr. Fauci have that information? Before I weigh in on that further, let's listen to the second part of this exchange between Dr. Fauci and Rand Paul. Cut eight, Diego. So, Senator Paul, if I might respond to that, uh, we just heard in his opening statement uh, Ranking Member Burr talk about his staff who went to Israel. And if you look at the data from Israel, the boosts, both the third-shot boost and the fourth-shot boost, was associated with a clear-cut clinical effect, mostly in elderly people, but also as they gathered more data, even in people in the 40s and the 50s. So there is clinical data. But but not in children. Right. Well, uh, Well, see, here's the thing is, you're not willing to be honest with the American people. So, for example, 75% of kids have had the disease. Why is the CDC not including this in the data? You can ask the question. You can do laboratory tests to find out who's had it and who hasn't had the disease. What is the incidence of hospitalization and death for children who have been infected with COVID subsequently going to the hospital or dying? What what is the possibility if your kid has had COVID, which is 75% of the country's had COVID, what is the chance that my child's going to the hospital or dying? If you look at the number of deaths in pediatrics, Senator, you can see that there are more deaths of in people who have had it, of people who have had the disease. Senator, we also know from other studies that the optimal degree of protection when you get infection is to get vaccinated after infection. And in fact, showing reinfection in the era of Omicron and the sublineage. This is gobbledygook. But you can't answer the question I asked. The question I asked is how many kids are dying and how many kids are going to the hospital who have already had COVID. The answer may be zero, but you're not even giving us the data because you have so much wanted to protect 
everybody from all the data because we're not smart enough to look at the data. When you release data earlier, when the CDC released the data, they left out the category of 18 to 49 on whether or not there was a health benefit for, for adults 18 to 49. Why was it left out? When critics finally complained, it was finally included because there was no health benefit from taking a booster between the 18 to 49 and the CDC study. Now, this, my friends, it goes deeper. It goes so much deeper than this. And I'm, I'm not going to spend all day on this, but I, I just had to cover this and not let this slide. If you search through online, you can find today a story that was published a few days ago by CTVN News. That's Canadian. The Canadian Vaccine Injury Support Program has received more than 700 claims. They say eight of all of that is there. But when you look at the numbers, as of June 1st, 2022, this program up in Canada had 774 claims. Of that, 654 were considered admissible. 71 claims were found to be inadmissible. 49 pending review. What does all this mean? It means that in Canada... They're actually reporting on the number of people who had had adverse reactions to the vaccine. In fact, as of May 12, 2022, 45,149 cases of adverse events following a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, that still represented 0.555% of all doses administered, but... Think about that, 45,149 people. There is, and, and Ron Paul cited, Rand Paul cited this, indications that there are issues concerning males, young males, that are taking this. Again, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not a doctor. But I'm going to tell you this. What we do not have in this country is the truth. We don't have the truth about anything anymore. We don't have the truth about the origins of COVID yet. After all this time, we don't have the truth about how many people are adversely affected. Ron, Senator Ron Johnson was on this program a few weeks ago. He's been trying to bring this subject up, and no one in this government will pay attention to it and demand that we get answers. We don't have answers as to how many people are being adversely affected by it. We hear rumors because all we can do in the absence of a truthful government is depend on people who are out of government. There are a number of doctors who are trying to raise the alarm about this stuff, but they're shut out. They're shut out of discussion. You have little dweebs in social media deciding that doctors who talk about this stuff aren't eligible to talk on social media platform people with zero medical experience deciding who should be listened to in the medical community on social media platforms. And as a result, the American people don't have the truth. And if you don't have the truth, how can you make informed decisions? We do know that 0% of children under 5 statistically are going to die from COVID. So why is there this full effort to vaccinate every child in America under the age of five? I am not an anti-vaxxer. I have a vaccine. I've had the vaccine. And in some cases, there are some friends of mine who think I'm an idiot, and then that should disqualify me. Never mind. Forgetting the vaccine. 
But I made a choice to have the vaccine. I am not an anti-vaxxer, but what I am is pro-truth. Tell the truth to the American people. Why does the CDC not release all of the information so that everyone can digest it? Why is this a political football instead of a medical, a medical discussion? And this went further with Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci says that people that are making money in the NIH on royalties from that, we don't have to disclose that information. Well, really, that's a conflict of interest, isn't it? If you're making from something money off something that you're promoting in most circles of the world, that's a conflict of interest. Why isn't that the case for doctors working inside of the NIH? And I am, by the way, a huge NIH fan. (gasps) That may surprise you. I think the NIH in most other areas is one of the most competent health organizations in the world. But on this area, there is so much that is involved politically here that the American medical system is being compromised by the lack of truth and the lack of candor. And I want to know why are people in this government afraid to tell the American people the truth? It's a simple question. Just tell the truth. WABC, Talk Radio 77, we stream worldwide. You can catch us on the WABC app. Get it from WABCradio.com. Keep it with you. We're coming back right after this. Oh, knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Supertram brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. It is your Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you want to be part of the program, 800. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Now, a different strain of the same topic, lack of truth. The American Medical Association, this is from BizPack Review, the American Medical Association calls abortion bans a quote-unquote violation of human rights, and they're vowing to seek legal protections ahead of the Roe v. Wade decision that we're all expecting The American Medical Association declared in a press release this past week that abortion bans passed by state governments are a violation of human rights, responding to the growing threat of over-policing and surveillance of reproductive health services. The nation's physicians and medical students at the AMA annual meeting adopted a policy of recognizing that there is a violation of human rights when government intrudes into medicine, really, and impedes access to safe, evidence-based reproductive health services. How about evidence-based health services on COVID? And some of these... Now, Rush used to talk about how liberals infect and corrupt everything they touch. And I would argue with you right now that the American Medical Association is corrupted. These are the last people I would trust for anything. 
They, it apparently has been taken over by liberals who have a liberal view of the way that government should interact with medicine. I mean, if the American Medical Association is not going to defend the very concept of life, then what good are they? If they're just going to go down this political road that Democrats have taken us and liberals have taken not just this nation but the world, that life in the womb is insignificant and means nothing. These are the people who have the doctors of the world, the, the incredible innovations that have been made, where you now have doctors that are able to perform operations on fetuses, and they what they call fetuses, on babies inside the womb, womb when they have spotted that there are threats to that baby inside the womb. In fact, a friend of mine's daughter just had a preemie, and in and, and other times... And other times, babies that were born young would not stand a chance unless they were in incubators and had all kind of special care. These days, it is so so common for preemies to survive outside of the womb and lead full lives. So the very doctors that, on the one hand, are leading the leading not just America, but the world into a place where we can give medical care to infants in the womb, these people over at the American Medical Association, the AMA, now believe that it is their political duty to tell us that aborting babies is a political and a human right. It is a human right. These people, I'm telling you, they have a very, I don't understand the point of view that they have. Later on this morning, we're going to have Princess Diana Mion with us. Man, there are some things I want to discuss with her. One of them I hope that she's willing to discuss with us is the Clintons. The Clintons are back in town, and they're weighing in on what they think the future is of American democracy. In Boston, 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 Massachusetts has become the first American major city to offer a formal apology for its role in transatlantic slavery. How nice. Coming nearly four centuries after slavery began here, the city council passed a unanimous resolution this week that, that condemns the unique dastardliness of slavery is legacy on systematic white supremacy and racism that's reflected in ongoing racial inequities in housing, education, income, and more. The Boston City Council offered its deepest and most sincere apology for its responsibility in the death, misery, and deprivation that slavery caused. Who's going to accept the apology? I wonder. Bitcoin. For those of you in crypto, and we do a great crypto, I must say, not just crypto, but blockchain and all of the other things that are moving into a new economy. 
we have a podcast on that. It's called The Future Is Now. And you can find that where you find all WABC podcasts, wabcradio.com, Red Apple Media Podcast, there. But crypto has now plummeted below $20,000 for the first time since November 2020. And according to the New York Times, the fall was accelerated in recent weeks by the collapse of two major cryptocurrency projects, sowing doubts about the stability of the overall cryptocurrency market. I would love to hear from those of you who do invest in crypto, any kind of crypto, whether you think the end is near, whether it's all over, or is this this latest, they're calling it crypto winter, if this plunge is just temporary, or if you feel that it's, hey, it's over, it was nice while it lasted, all gone, goombay. Texas, Senator John Cornyn, who to me at times seems more like a rhino. I'm just saying. I'm not calling him a rhino. I said at times. Anyway, he was booed by attendees at the state GOP convention in Tejas. He gave a speech nearly 20 minutes long, but the crowd was shouting, no gun control. Cornyn is one of those in this bipartisan group of senators that is supposedly going to bring us new gun control legislation, including red flag laws. Democrats and Republicans are still optimistic that they are going to get a gun control deal. So far, they haven't put in writing anything that this that they have agreed upon. They have a handshake deal. They have enhanced review process, supposedly, for people who want to purchase firearms that are under 21 years old. So they're going to be, these under 21s are going to be subjected, supposedly, to a deeper background check. Supposedly, there's going to be more money for school resource officers. And there's going to be an expansion of mental health programs in schools. Not only that, they're going to spend money, more money, on mental health services for children and families. So, I, what do you think about that? I mean, I've been advocating, and I will continue to advocate. that we need to address mental health a lot more seriously than we're doing now in this country. But the folks in his own Texas aren't having it. They think that Cornyn has sold out. He says, after he got through with his speech, that he's he's never been, uh, I'm paraphrasing him, this is not a quote, he says he's never been afraid of a mob, and he's not going to start now. So he's calling his own voters a mob because they're not appreciating his view. They don't appreciate his view. And the deal, the handshake deal that he's made with Democrat, he and others, like Pat Toomey is on that committee. I think Gramnesty is. I know Mitt Romney's on it, which makes me have my own red flag. 
From AmericanWireNews.com, Kavanaugh neighbors perplexed over lack of media coverages as protests rage on. Neighbors of, of, of Kavanaugh say they're surprised. These protests have been disruptive in their neighborhood, these ongoing protests, and even after the attempted assassination was revealed, where you had this lone kook that was out to kill Judge Kavanaugh over this Roe v. Wade thing, these people are still out there in violation of federal law. In violation of federal law, these leftists are still advocating that they have the right to protest in front of Judge Kavanaugh's house, Justice Kavanaugh's house. And his neighbors are being affected too. Affected too. And you know what happens here? The mainstream media, our brilliant mainstream media, you know, the ones that are still going on and on and on with the Democrats about January 6th and the threat that it poses to democracy. The same people that are supposedly all for law and order have not raised one issue with these protesters saying what you are doing is in violation of the law and you have to stop right now. The Department of Justice, which was so eager to call parents that are concerned about their children's education domestic terrorists when they were complaining about some of these things children are being taught in schools. So ready and eager to call parents, concerned parents, domestic terrorists, are not at all concerned that these liberals are out protesting and in some cases disrupting the neighborhood and disrupting Life for Justice Kavanaugh and his family, despite the fact that nobody is supposed to protest in front of a judge's house with the hopes of influencing a decision. It is against the law. But the law doesn't matter when Democrats are concerned, just like where we started this program, where Stephen Colbert's crew can go into the Capitol buildings lawmakers' buildings unlawfully and spend the night in jail and then just get released. We see what happens to anyone else. We see what happens when you are an enemy of the state and you do that. You are thrown in jail and you are left there until your trial date, no matter how long that trial date takes whether it's months, and I bet you some of the people in jail that were thrown in jail for last January 6th will be in jail the next January 6th if liberals get their way. Without a trial, if need be. 800 arrests the FBI made in this January 6th thing. And most of these people have been sent to jail. Look what they did with Peter Navarro for not complying with this subpoena from this corrupt kangaroo court that the Democrats are running on January 6th. They shackled him and put him in jail and for added measure threw him in the, sh- in the cell that was occupied by Reagan attempted assassination guy Hinckley. Just for spite. WABC Talk Radio 77. 
It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back with you right after this. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77, December 1963. We still have shortages. You know, I feel uncomfortable talking about the shortages that we're having on, in stores over tampon products. I don't know why. It's just not something men talk about that much. Yeah, but ladies are apparently having problems finding um, the things that they need for that time of the month on store shelves. That's the latest. There is another one today that not only are we have now shortages, baby food, microchips, and we have shortages with tampons and other feminine uh, hygienic products. But there's also a growing shortage in hot sauce. <clears throat> yeah. Let us head to the phones momentarily. I want to get back. To, we talked about something yesterday. Didn't have enough time to finish it. And that's the, the Democrat Party's obsession lately with drag queens and drag queens in schools. We'll deal with that in a moment, but let's head to the telephones right now. People have been waiting. Kevin, New Jersey, I recognize your call. You called yesterday. We didn't have time for your call. Wanted to make sure I could get you today. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to Bo Snerdley's, uh Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you? All right. If uh, Andrew uh, Gianni should win the Republican primary, who do you think will be his uh, vice go- uh, lieutenant governor? I have no idea. And I don't know yet whether Andrew Giuliani will win. I have not looked at the polls, to be frank with you on this. So I don't know who's leading in the polls. Well, I did hear one report that in one poll, Andrew Giuliani was leading. But I don't remember the specifics of it. So I'll have to look at that and find out. Who do you think ought to be his lieutenant governor if he wins? Rita Crosby. Okay, what is going on with this? Rita Crosby, I love Rita. Rita's a good friend of mine. I've had a woman call me, and then I heard her on, on of all shows, Giuliani's show, saying that Rita Crosby would be the best choice for Donald Trump's vice president, and now you're saying Rita Cosby would be the best best choice. Our own Rita Cosby, folks, every weeknight here on WABC weekday night, she's here. Rita is an amazing human being. Absolutely, she's a great talk show host, and, yeah, she probably would be great at anything she tries. Hmm, why is her name coming up all of a sudden for all these elective offices? Rita, we'll have to talk to Rita maybe and find out. Let us go to New Jersey and Mike. Mike, welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. What's up? Hey, what's going on, Bo? Uh, I wanted to talk about that January 6th thing. And, I mean, honestly, I thought it was a, a sham the whole time and with all the theatrics and them not allowing anybody to from the Republican side really to take Donald Trump's point of view. But now that Stephen Colbert had uh, seven 
members from his staff arrested for the exact same crimes. Do you think they'll be treated the same way? I open the show with that. And no, I don't. They already have not been treated the same way. They've been released after just spending a few hours in jail. Okay, the January 6th people that the FBI went after are all still, many of them are still languishing in jail. They are still languishing in jail without, in some cases, proper medical care. From what we understand, some of them have been held in solitary confinement, like they're the world's worst terrorist. And so, no, Colbert's people, and let us remember what Colbert's people were doing in there, according to news reports. They were in after hours. They had already been asked to leave once because they did not have the proper credentials to be in Capitol office buildings. They were in there supposedly banging on doors and causing a disruption in hopes of, at least to some reports, trying to, I guess, incite some kind of disruption with Republican lawmakers. Kevin McCarthy apparently was one of them. Marjorie Green Green was, was apparently one of them. So I don't know. But but we do know this already. They have not been treated like the January 6th people. And I just think this is one of the things that... Now, I guarantee you this. If you look at the media today, if you look at any of the mainstream media outlets, if they cover this at all, they're going to poo-poo it. Oh, this is nothing. These are just a bunch of little media. Yeah, well, imagine if, ladies and gentlemen, with everything that has already happened in D.C., imagine if there were a camera crew, let's say Dinesh D'Souza sent out a camera crew, and they were in banging on doors in the Capitol. Do you think they'd be out of jail already? Imagine if we had an America First group wearing MAGA hats with their cameras, and they were in the Capitol today banging on doors of Democrats. Do you think that they would be released already? But no, it's Stephen Colbert, and I think we need to understand and know who sent them. Did Stephen Colbert send them? And if he did send them over there, will he be charged as leading up or being responsible in part for this insurrection into the Capitol? Oh, you're comparing. No, I'm not comparing apples and oranges. And if you think that you're, if if in your mind you're already dismissing this as just nothing, I would say to you that this is part of the problem. If Democrats do something, it's just nothing. If Republicans did the same thing, they get the entire left-wing media piling on and the entire left-wing political class piling on to make sure that the narrative that they are totally rotten sticks. These Colbert people did the same thing, some of the same things, that some of the January 6th protesters did. And yet, today, this morning, hours after doing it, Basically, they invaded the Capitol. They had no right to be there. They were trespassing in the Capitol. Yet today, they are out walking around free. And the people that did the same thing they did on January 6th, many of them are still behind bars. Yeah.
Ralph, New Jersey, welcome. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza with Bo Snurley. What's on your mind? Thank, thank, thank you, Bo. Um, you know, this poor excuse of a leadership, Joseph Biden, is really not running the country but ruining it. He's the worst thing that ever happened in this country. Now, pertaining to January 6th, the hearing about January 6th, Bo, there are a lot of people who believe that this is a prelude to the eventual takeover of China, of our country. What do you think of that, Bo? You think I that's don't. <clears throat> Ralph, no. No, I do not think that January 6th represents a prelude to China's takeover of the United States. Not in any way, shape, or form. In fact, there's discussions right now about, and, and these discussions are not being held on the elective class level, but there are discussions wondering if there ought to be a NATO-type organization set up for the defense of Taiwan against China. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that this nation under Joe Biden has pacified China. China has been very aggressive. They've still been aggressive in the South China Sea. In fact, the Chinese made threats to us a few weeks ago, threats of war. And that just went by ho-hum, ho-hum, it's nothing. I think the entire response to China after COVID-19 has been lax. COVID-19 started in China. To this day, we do not know whether it was an accident or whether it was planned. And if you think I'm being too blunt, I'm sorry. That is the truth. We don't know. And I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying we don't know. We had intelligence people in America wondering, speculating, if this was a planned virus release. We don't know the truth. We do know that China did not alert the rest of the world in time to prevent it from being spread. Yet China has escaped all accountability all accountability, not just from the United States, the European nations, and some of the others. Oh, I love, hey, Teddy, hold on, I'm going to get you. The European nations and other nations around the world have failed to hold China accountable. Why is everybody afraid of China? Donald Trump wasn't afraid of China. He engaged China because China was stealing our intellectual property. They were tampering with the world's currency markets. They were sending us defective goods and of our trade imbalance with them. And he won a trade war with them. And guess what? Shortly after winning that trade war, the world was infected with COVID-19. Coincidence or not? Hour one in the can. Coming back, a lot more to discuss, including this obsession Democrats have with drag queens. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, and it continues right after this. It's G- 
James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Oh, by the way, tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, it's advised that you whip out your black liberation flags. Governor Hochul is flying the black liberation flag over the Capitol at New York. I just think this is hysterical. I mean, I, I still want to know who came up with this idea and what she said when they did. Or whether it was her idea. You suppose Governor Hochul said, you know what, let's celebrate Juneteenth. Let's fly the black liberation flag. Do you suppose she even knew what it was? But anyway, she released a statement that she's flying her black liberation flag over uh, the uh, New York State Capitol for June 19th. That starts tomorrow. And uh, it'll run through Monday. So you you may want to support it. Go get your black liberation flags out and let's fly them all together, shall we? Uh, <laughs> I am going to get to this business about the the drag queens in schools. You heard Frank Diaz talk about it on the news. And it has been getting a lot of traction. And Democrats, including our own Mayor Adams, who presides over an education system that has over 200 some odd failing schools in New York, has issued his full-throated support for drag queens in school. He's among a bunch of other Democrats. I don't even know where all this started, but it has become the thing. But before we do any of that, we have a call from Yonkers, and I don't want this guy to go away. So I'm going to kind of break our own format here. Usually I talk for the first you know, part here, and then we take calls later on, but I want to get to Teddy right away. Teddy, welcome. You're on Bo Snurley's, uh Yes, it is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, Teddy? Okay, I've spoken to you before. I like you as a person. You, you're a bright individual, but I disagree with you, okay? And I watched the Watergate uh, special last night on Channel 2. Those senators, as Barry Goldwater said, there are four senators that will support you, and I'm not one of them. And the senators back then, as Howard Baker said, what did the president know and when did he know it? Donald Trump should be indicted. He should be taken out in handcuffs. And that 20,000 mules program is such a farce, such a lie, propagation of lies. And you continually, you continually, Mike Pence was 40 feet away from the Proud Boys. They would have killed him. And for three hours... Trump didn't what say happened? a damn word. He didn't say a damn word. And you defend him. You yep. defend him. Yep. He should be indicted and locked up. Okay, let me just ask you a question, Teddy. Calm down. Calm down. We have some time here. Calm down. Did you have Did you have a lot of coffee this morning? I'm making it now. Oh, good. Okay, I'm going to have some coffee with you. Um, and so we can have coffee together. Now, let me ask you a question, Teddy. What do you think Donald Trump should be indicted for? Exactly what charges? What did he do? I understand that legality of the of the of it. He conspired. With he who? conspired ahead of time. Who did with, he conspire with? With the Proud Boys. Oh no, he didn't. There's no evidence that he had any contact with the Proud Boys whatsoever. None. What's next? Who else should he, so if he didn't, and, and there is none, Ted, I'm sorry. You may think that, but that's not, there's no evidence whatsoever to indicate that Donald Trump had any interaction with the Proud Boys at all before the event. 
So now that that's out, wh- who, what do you think exactly he did? He didn't call in the National Guard. Uh, let's, um, I'm sorry, correction. Two days before the event, Donald Trump got in touch with what was trying to reach Pelosi, the yes, Trump administration, yes, to say, you know, we're having this event there. What do you think about having the National Guard out? Do you, who is who is responsible for the security at the Capitol, Teddy? I, I'm not a legal scholar, and I'm not. I'll a tell you. I'll tell you. You don't have to be a legal scholar. The the the, the Capitol Police and all of that, all of that, the whole security apparatus at the United States Capitol is under the supervision and direction of the Speaker of the House. Uh, who's Speaker of the House right now? Okay, Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. So you see, defending the Capitol, especially when they knew there was going to be a big event in Washington and a big event around the election, all of that was under Nancy Pelosi's jurisdiction. And Nancy Pelosi didn't act. Now, here's something curious. Ted, I don't know whether you know this or not. The Republicans asked Nancy Pelosi to please, please, Madam Speaker, show us the records, your records, of all the correspondence that went on before January 6th about security. You know what Nancy told them to do? In so many words, she told them to get lost, pound sand, kiss her. Ooh, that's an ugly thought. Um, she told them to get lost. The Democrats have not, have not produced any of the records from the Speaker of the House to show the American people what she did to secure the Capitol before January 6th. Did you know that, Teddy? No, I did not. Okay. So she's responsible The Democrats have stonewalled, and then when the Republicans said, okay, we want to defend Donald Trump here, or we want to defend what happened, or we want to to search for the truth and come with another point of view, Nancy Pelosi said, no, screw you. I'm the Speaker of the House. I'm not going to let any Republicans on this committee unless they agree with us, the Democrats. That is why... Liz Cheney, who is a Trump hater, that is why Adam Kinzinger, who is a Trump hater, are the only Republicans there. She denied Republicans a chance to take part because they would have asked questions the same way I'm asking you questions. They would have asked some of the similar questions. Where are the Democrats' communications before then? And et cetera, et cetera. But Nancy Pelosi said no. Now, look, Ted, Teddy, I don't. I think you're a fair guy. I don't think you're an unfair guy. I think in any trial, both sides should be heard. Don't you agree with that? Excuse me? Do you think in any trial, both sides should be heard? That the, yes. Yeah. So Nancy Pelosi has denied the Republicans a chance to be heard, except for the, the Trump haters. This is the way that they used to do business in the old Soviet Union. This is how they do business and Latin American banana republic, banana republics. This is the way they do business in undeveloped nations around the world. They stack the deck against anybody who has an imposing voice. Teddy, if Donald Trump did something, I want the truth out. Oh, okay, but here's the thing. Don, uh, James, are you yep. there? I'm here, I'm James. listening. Yep. Okay. What about 
he requested his vice president to do to overturn the certification, which is illegal, James. It's it is, illegal. Okay, let, let us address with that. Let, no, hold on. It is not illegal. Call them a wimp and a pussy. Yeah, okay. Let us deal with that, Teddy. Teddy, <clears throat> it is not illegal to request the vice president do something. Now, what what Mike Pence said was, I looked at this situation and I don't believe that I have the constitutional authority to do what you're asking me. Okay? That's what Pence said. Trump had a different point of view. So, there's a different point of view, but there was nothing illegal about Donald Trump asking. Do you know, do you remember this? Do you remember during the time when um, Bush and Gore were going at it with the Bush-Gore whole thing in 2001? Do you know that the Democrats tried to do the same thing? Do you know that, um, in fact, what's your name from uh, from Texas? Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee tried to get the vote decertified. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah. See, it's not illegal. And there is ambiguousness about the constitutionality of it. And, in fact, you can go before the election when this thing was still brewing, and you can read inside the mainstream uh, press accounts where even some of the mainstream pundits were talking about this is a vague, this is a vague section of constitutional law. It is vague. It's subject to interpretations. They now the prevailing thought among the liberals was that Trump is dead wrong in this, but they still they still had it as a vague matter. You still there, Teddy? Oh, Teddy's gone. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, Teddy, you're a good guy. I like you, Teddy. I understand that you're angry, and I understand if I was watching a one-sided TV show about January 6th, and the TV show was made with the help of an ABC News guy, former ABC News guy, and crafted to make it look like Trump guilty, Trump guilty, Trump guilty. It was produced by a former Democrat hack posing as a journalist or a former journalist produced for the Democrat Party. It's a one-sided kangaroo court presentation. I can understand if you watch that why you're so infuriated. You're like, why is this guy walking around not indicted? But you're seeing a Democrat Party presentation. This is a campaign commercial. It is a one-sided campaign commercial where the Democrats do not have to be honest and as a result, they are not being honest. And so you watch this, and you're inflamed. You're like, well, what the hell? Why isn't Trump in jail? But that's exactly the result that Democrats want. This is a political show put on by a political party. This has nothing to do with truth. This has nothing to do with justice. This has to do with the corrupt nature of America's mainstream media and the corrupt nature of the Democrat Party and the corrupt nature of Democrat Party politics. They are corrupt. And what they are trying to do is bamboozle America. 
Now, let me say for the record one more time. Those people that entered the Capitol and vandalized our nation's capital should be held to account. Those people who went in Nancy Pelosi's office and stole things from Nancy Pelosi's office, this is despicable. Those people who vandalized our nation's capital should be held to account. It is despicable behavior. Those people who are trying to blame this on Donald Trump, despicable. Because Donald Trump did not order anybody to do this, did not ask for anybody to do this. In fact, Donald Trump said that people should protest peacefully. Donald Trump, before this, tried to secure with Nancy Pelosi the National Guard so that there would be safety. And the Democrats denied him that. Why? Because anything that Trump does, they're against. So once again, Teddy and all other Democrats that are thinking, well, this is just over the top. I have a friend of mine. He's a brilliant guy. Brilliant. Exactly. He he writes me the most unbelievable text. Facts. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I have my phone. I'm going to try to get through real quick and just kind of read you verbatim. I'm not going to give his name, so I hope he wouldn't mind that I share the text. Um, And this guy is brilliant. He is so brilliant in terms of business and everything else. Yeah, here he is. He says, you Republicans, crook buddies, they bamboozled you, man. I know you so dearly wanted to believe their nonsense, but it's all coming out and more to come. The lies just keep coming. And this is just the beginning. Everyone you defended was ripping you off. The Thomases, too. This is so sad. I know you won't admit it. I get that. You don't have to. Everyone sees the truth except repubate minds. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) He says it's amazing how the commie pinko leftists have the superpower to turn all these Trump loyalists from his inner circle and turn them into fire-breathing leftists overnight and turn on Trump. You have to admit, communists communists seem to be a lot smarter than your Trump buddies. Amazing. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I... Those brilliant men that I know, but he is so anti-Trump. And so he's watching this, and that's his reaction. Look, anybody that's watching the Democrat show... I understand if you're upset. And if you want to call and talk about it with me, I'm like Teddy. Teddy, I love you, man. I want to, you want you to call back. And let's finish. I have some coffee during the break. I'm going to have some with you. We'll, like, do a coffee thing. I'll be right back. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza coming back in a moment. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on 77 WABC. Marvelous Marvin Gaye brings us back. Hey, Jake, what do you have I want you? You have anything? You have uh, this is Marvin's early Motown stuff. 
You know, I read an autobiography of, of, of uh, Marvin Gaye, and he talked in the biography about how, how through his career he actually changed the way that he sang. And he started using a softer voice and almost whispering in a way, and it got more performance out of him. And when you listen to his older stuff, you can, his later stuff, you can really hear the difference. Diego, what do you have? What else about Marvin do you have in there? I have a newly purchased That's the Way Love Is. Huh. Yeah, but that's still kind of, that's the old Motown. Yeah. Let me see. Let me see if I got something else. I won't want to stop. Let's get it on. Okay, this is kind of it. Let's play a little bit of that. Oh, baby. This is Marvin Gaye. Saturday morning, WABC Talk Radio 77, Marvelous Marvin Gaye. All right, let's head back. I guess, you know what we have? We have some cuts. And some of these cuts pertain to nothing that I have a news story for, but I picked these cuts during the week. And I just want you to hear some of them. One, oh, yeah, there's one on the drag queens. That'll that'll bring us into the discussion on drag queens. But there's Don Lemon. Cut three, Diego. Don Lemon had, had this to say this week. Listen to this. This is self-explanatory. Hit it. I cannot have a false sense, a false sense of equivalency about what is happening when it comes to politics in our country. There's one party right now that's not operating in fact that has been misleading the American people. And that is the Republican Party, sadly, of which I used to be a member of the Republican Party years ago. I'm not a member of any party right now, but we have to, we cannot pretend as journalists that it is equal, it is not. Democrats are doing their Democrat thing and they're being, you know, liberal and they want all these things, but that's the way normal politics operates and we can deal with those things. But what the Republican Party is doing now and not standing up for our democracy and being quiet, that is very dangerous. We cannot have all of, we cannot fight all of these things and make a better world and do what Larry Summers told me last night about getting our economy together if we don't have a functioning democracy. And so we as journalists need to stand up for that and not pretend that it's uh, that we can both sides this. This is not a both sides. First of all, you're supposed to be a journalist. You're a sorry excuse for a journalist anyway. But a journalist is not supposed to be taking sides and advocating one thing or another. You're supposed to report what happened. Remember who, what, when, where, why. That's journalism. Not 
there's there's a false equivalence between Republicans and Democrats. I used to be a Republican, by the way. I used to be a Republican many, many years ago. But now I'm not anything. Now I'm not anything. I'm just I'm just a CNN guy who thinks that Democrats are just, you know, they're just doing their Democrat thing. They're just the normal things. But Republicans, Republicans, oh, they lie about everything. A Republicans, he's just a biased hack. There's supposed to be a new CNN. We're not supposed to be getting this garbage. When will the new leader of CNN finally, finally tell Don Lemon to do a commentary show? Just be a freaking Democrat party hack like you are now and stop pretending to be objective. The last thing you want is this guy reporting on what's supposed to be the news. He is not a news journalist. He is a biased political hack, and that's okay. He can be a biased political hack. Plenty of people are biased political hacks. Just don't pretend to be a journalist. Let us. Now, I love this one. Yes, we're going to get back to your calls. We have great calls. We're going to get back to your calls in a few minutes. Let us talk about now something that seems to have our country enthralled. Every day we get more and more and more and more about trans, this, trans, that. Christine called yesterday. Christine is one of my uh, uh, favorite trans people because she is, she's got such an amazing story. And Christine is just so reasonable And you can have a discussion with her. She's always going to tell you what she thinks, the truth, without a lot of vitriol. So we talked a little bit about the drag thing. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But listen to, this is from the libs of TikTok. I love that site. And this is a young lady talking about how we can't use the term girls anymore. Cut one, Diego. I've been so annoyed lately because lately there's been a lot of people saying the girls as like a term of expressing themselves and it just irks me. The term the girls originated from the trans community because that's something that they use to kind of just like talk about themselves, specifically the girls in the community. You could say it's like slang within the community, but yet again, just like a lot of things of LGBTQ culture, like voguing, it's got sissified. Yeah, that's not a word, but I made it a word. I understand the girls is a very simple term that people would resonate with, but at the same time, like us trans people had one thing and you guys have to take it. You see that tear? I'm crying. I'm just tearing up from this situation. But nonetheless, that's how I feel about it. That's my hot take on it. I talked about it multiple times on my channel, but no one seemed to listen. So hopefully you guys will listen this time. (laughs) So don't worry if you don't understand this stuff. I'm just, you're just, just know, just take away the main point. You're not supposed to use the term the girls. Don't worry if you understand it. You're not supposed to maybe understand it if you're, you know, sane. But don't worry, just stop using the term girls. Now, there's also another term. It's called a bun self. A bun self. What is a bun self? It's a new pronoun. Here's what, if you don't understand bun self, this is for you. Cut to Diego. Gender pronouns are any set of pronouns that aren't officially recognized in the language that you use. Someone might use neo pronouns because uh, officially recognized pronouns might give them dysphoria or using 
Neos could give someone gender euphoria. I use them because they give me euphoria um, because I really enjoy confusing people with my gender identity. <laughs> Which sounds kind of weird, but it gives me euphoria, so whatever. I really like using they, them, and Fayfair in conversation, like when I'm talking. And I really like using Bun Bun Self, uh, like if I'm texting someone or I guess just on my internet. Um, that's, that's the way I like using them. So an example of fair fair pronouns could be, I really like fair jacket today. It's fair favorite color. Fair like the color purple. And an example of bun bun self pronouns could be, bun showed up on my for you page today. Bun really likes using neo pronouns for bun self. Did you get that folks? So if you like, you can use now bun bun as a pronoun, your bun self, your bun bun, or you can use fair fair. Fair fair is another program. You can, this, my fair fair self like my fair fair, this one. What do you mean you don't understand it? Come on, get with the program. Bun bun. We'll be right back. James Colton, Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snirley, is on the air. 77 WABC. Buffalo Zone, Buffalo, New York, Rick James. All right, Diego, I got to ask you this. Do we have you and I anywhere? If we don't, we have to get that for next week. You and I? Yeah, Rick James, you and I. It was his first hit, you and I. I know you're a kid. You don't know that, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, Waiting. we do. Hit it. Come on. Give me some you and I. Yeah, this was Rick James' first one. This is the thing to put Rick on the map. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza, right here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Cousin Brucey, tonight. I think this was, what, 1979, maybe? Nineteen seventy-eight looks like. Okay, so it was released seventy-nine. I was right. 
I don't care. All right, let's head back to the telephones on WABC Talk Radio 77. Bobby Howard Beach, how are you? Welcome. Hey, Bobby, where are you calling from in Howard Beach? Okay, Bobby, bad line. Put him on hold. See whether we can clear up that line. Let's go to Victor in Pennsylvania. Victor, how are you? Welcome. I'm doing great. Listen, uh, you are certainly a gentleman and everything else in that regards. And I listened to you back in the, when Joel was your partner there. But I just want to tell you one thing. Uh, you know, with this guy, Teddy, uh, you know, you were very mannerly and polite to him and everything. But he, he, no matter what, he came across, he's a hater. He's a hater. He hates Trump. You know, nothing you could have said or proved to him would change his mind. And unfortunately, that's the problem with everything. But, uh, you know, you... See, hold on, Victor. Let's hold on on a second. One of the things Teddy did is something that most haters don't do. They don't admit when they're wrong about something or don't know about something. So I asked Teddy some questions, and Teddy was honest with us. He said, "I, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. So... Look, you may be right, but I'm not so sure Teddy's a hater. I think Teddy was, look, I think Teddy watched that January 6th Democrat Party show that was on all the networks, and Teddy watched the January 6th January show produced by former ABC journalists, and he said, "What? In, what's going on in my country? These people are trying to overturn an election, and Trump's the ringleader. And that's because the show was put together by Democrats and then aired mostly on Democrat networks to give Democrats like Teddy and people that didn't follow the story their talking points going into the midterm elections. And Teddy was inflamed. Now, Teddy was also fair enough when things were pointed out to him, like Nancy Pelosi's in charge of the security there, and she's not answering any questions, he's like, no, I didn't know that. Well, why not? Because the Democrat Party and the Democrat producers of the January 6th show aren't telling anybody that. So I don't know, Victor. You may be right, but you may be wrong. You get the final word, Victor. (laughs) Well, you can't change my mind. I'm sure Teddy and all of a sudden he got disconnected. You know, I think uh, you would prove the point that, but, uh, you know, again, he sounded too much like a hater, especially when he went off and said pussy and this and that. Give me a break. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. No one wants to talk about cats that way. You know? Uh, okay. Yeah. Kitty cats. N- not. Yeah. And Victor, thank you so much for the call. Uh, let us go to a uh, long Island and rich, rich. Welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. We stream worldwide. And if you're going away this summer, anywhere in the world, get that WABC app. Keep it with you all times and keep us near your ears and your heart. Rich, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning. Uh, Teddy was talking about the uh, – anyway, let me, let me just go back. I'm sorry. 
I was sitting on my couch one day, 2016. Martin Sheen, the pretend president, popped up. He's talking about decertifying an election. I didn't even know it was possible until I saw Martin Sheen bring it up. And then a few others jumped in, and that was a national ad campaign. So don't be people like me didn't even know this was possible until the Democrats tried to do it. Yeah, the Democrats, as I said, and they had Sheila Jackson Lee stand up in the House of Representatives and urge Gore to decertify the vote, and Gore asked her if she had Republican support. Because if you're going to represent, to do this as a um, a House member, you have to have a senator go along with you, a- any one senator. And when Sheila Jackson Lee admitted that she did not have a senator, well, then it was closed. And remember this, and Democrats, by the way, walked out. They walked out of the chamber when Gore v. When, when the election was certified and Bush 43 won, they said, and they called him, you will remember this, they called him an illegitimate president. Guess who else said that an election was stolen? Miss Hillary Clinton said that the election was stolen and that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president. president. So these people, you know, this is what I mean. They pretend... That, that Donald Trump did something new and all of this. And, oh, my gosh, democracy is going to crumble. It's go- First of all, we're a representative republic. We're not a democracy. Second, we're not going to crumble. And Donald Trump in no way did anything that would make the, represent- the, the, the representative republic of America crumble. What would have happened? Let's just play this out for a moment, folks. Let's say that Mike Pence said, hey, Don, I agree with you, bro. Let's do this thing, right? Let's say that. Let's say Mike, Mike Pence said, yo, what's up with that? You're right. I'm going to decertify this joint right now, right? You got it. We're going to decertify, and we're going to do it like this, and we're going to do it like that. What would have happened? It would have gone to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court would have said, who knows what the Supreme Court would have said. But whatever would have happened, the Republic wasn't going to fall down. It would have gone to the court system. And from my reading on the court system, I can't say, I I will never predict what the courts are going to do, but I don't think it would have... Let me put it like this. I think Joe Biden would probably still be president if it went to the court. Because the court, nine times out of ten, after, when you look at uh, 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 Bush and Gore, you'll see something different about the Supreme Court. When it, when it comes to cases like some of these things, they're like, uh-uh, 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 don't get us involved in this. Y'all handle that one. Leave us out of this. We got our own issues over here. We got people running around outside our houses now. Anyway, it wasn't going to mean the end of a democracy. These people exaggerate about everything. Peter, Queens, New York. Welcome, Peter. Wow, there was a horrible fire in um, in Ozone Park. It took out two, three houses over there. Some people got killed overnight over there. So, you know, prayers to... You in shout out to number one South Ozone Park 
and prayers. I hope, I hope that it, the worst is over there. Peter, what's on your mind this morning? Well, what I heard, I, I, first of all, I want to tell Teddy who I am. I am an old senior Democrat for 50 years. And what I said to, uh, when I listened to Teddy, I saw the anger in his face and, uh, and that voice, or what I could his face, I shouldn't say face. But what I realized is that, like you said, Pelosi's in charge as the Speaker of the House. I believe, in my opinion, when Trump asked to have the guards, Pelosi turned him down, saying no, because she really wanted something to happen on January 6th. But what I call about is, on the radio, I heard at least a week before January 6th, Pelosi was told that something is in the works about a, not an insurrection, but uh, problems with the uh, uh, meeting they're having on January 6th with the rally. And she turned them down. Is that true? Now, I don't know about that, and I'll have to look into that. But here's what I do know. I know that if you are a responsible leader of government and you've got the opposition party and the people in the opposition party are riled up because of they think that the election has been stolen from them. And by the way, Democrats have been in the same situation. And by the way, if we really want to be honest with American history, John Kennedy much as we may like him, revere him, stole the election of 1960, Cook County, Illinois. Go back and read the history of it. There's no way that what happened with this 2 o'clock in the morning call out to Cook County and then votes are found. Let me amend my statement. There is a significant chance that John Kennedy stole the election of 1960, and Richard Nixon knew it. And Kennedy, if you go back and read the history books, Kennedy was afraid that Richard Nixon was going to take the whole thing to the Supreme Court and challenge it and take it to the courts because of the way that it happened. And Richard Nixon, who who right now is still being smeared all these years later by Woodward and Bernstein, the reason that Richard Nixon did not contest the 1960 election was because Richard Nixon said he did not want to create a constitutional crisis in America because it would have put the court in a very bad situation that they had to then determine the election, and it would have undermined the confidence that most people have in our constitutional process of elections. So Richard Nixon turned out to be a statesman, and he will never get the credit for that, even though that's what he did. He knew that they had robbed him of that election. He knew that it happened with Richard Daley and with the Chicago Democrat Party machine. And anybody, anybody, any real historian can go back and uncover everything that happened there and look at it and say, Mm-mm, this wasn't right. This was, this was not right. But now let's pull that forward. Yes. Nancy Pelosi, we know, is in charge of security. Why Nancy Pelosi is not answering questions or forced to answer questions about her role in all of this is because this is a political hack show. This January 6th committee has nothing to do with the reality of what happened on January 6th. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, coming back 
More of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Remember, Princess Di is here next hour. Coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snirdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. You know who this is. One of the most successful music groups of the 80s and 90s. The Bee Gees. Let's go to Mary in New York. Mary, welcome WABC. You're on Boston Early Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Hi, Mary. Hi. I love your show. You're great. Thank you. And um, I like your calming influence on the crazies. My point I want to ask you, James, is the black liberation flag related to the black liberation army who committed the Brinks robbery in Rockland County, where two police officers were killed, and Joanne Chesmar is still free in Cuba. Yep. Is that the same? Is that the same, or is it separate? Well, I don't. I don't quite know how to answer the question because the Black Liberation Flag was not a creation of the Black Liberation Army at the time. If you remember, growing up in, in through that era. People had started talking about black liberation, and then the next thing we know, there was the black liberation flag. I schooled our princess of policy on it yesterday, which was red, black, and green, right? And um, so, but it, so in a way they were related, but it wasn't because the black liberation flag had a its own cultural identity that went beyond the Black Liberation Army. And there are a lot of people that didn't agree with, of course, the tactics of the Black Liberation Army. By the way, do you know who uh, Joanne Chesimar, do you know the famous rapper that's related to her? Mary? No, I don't. Tupac. Tupac Shakur was related to uh, Joanne Chesimar, who, as you hey. said, is is right now still cooling her jets over in Cuba after she was involved with that with the crime where two officers were killed. Now, little did she know that in this day and age, if she decides to come back in the United States, Alvin Bragg or, or Gasson or one of them would just let her out anyway. Back then, it was a crime to kill police officers, and people took that really seriously. Under these new DAs, these Soros DAs, she'd probably just say, ah, you know, you've been punished enough. Come on back home. But, uh, Mary, thank you for the call. Really do appreciate it. Let us go to Jamie in Florida. Jamie, what part of Florida are you calling from? I'm in Ocala. Ocala, Florida. All right, Jamie, what's on your mind this morning? I'm uh, I'm with the horses. Well, I I think it was totally a setup, which I think it was brilliantly done by Pelosi. She knows that there's going to be this, uh, you know, gathering. She gets... You know, I know, I'm sure that they have connections to, you know, the agitators. She gets the agitators to come and say, agitate, and I'm going to take the police away. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to send the police to defend the Capitol. Brilliant. I think hmm, he was interesting. Now, let me, let me just, things. let me just give you a little pushback. Some of the protesters there were not protesters that Nancy Pelosi and her camp would have any influence with. The Proud Boys, the uh, the Oath Keepers, and some of the others. 
Now, if you tell me that Nancy Pelosi intentionally did not uh, want security there because she had hoped that something would happen, I would say I find that a little bit more believable than Nancy Pelosi had direct contact with some of the groups that came into the Capitol. Came into the Capitol were Antifa, who they had not stopped at all throughout, uh, you know, all the uh, the pogrom. I think is the word, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that happened before. They didn't stop them at all. I'm sure they have connections to them. Well, let's so not talk about. Really well, well, you're talking about Antifa. Now there are there are people that say Antifa was there. There are others that say Antifa was not there. I don't know. There are also people that say there's evidence that there were uh, people in the crowd that were undercover law enforcement, and people want to know their role. If it can be proven that they were there, I'd like to know that too. If I say if, what we do know is this: we know that the Capitol was breached. We know that a woman, Ashley Babbitt, was killed, and we still don't know all the circumstances around that. We do know that there were requests for security beforehand that weren't honored. We do know that the Democrats have put up a Democrat Party hack show and a Democrat Party hack commission, Soviet-style commission, intent on making sure that they take out the threat that Donald Trump could become president again. We do know that. There's a lot that we don't know, and we don't know because the Democrat Party does not want America to know. And I will never excuse what happened there, the horrible behavior, and there should be accountability. But we also know, if we look at the facts, that this was not some kind of planned insurrection as Democrats say it was. Let us go to Westchester County and Joe. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, let's go to Joe in Westchester County. How are you? How are you, Joe? Good morning, James. I'm well. I hope you are as well. I am. Thank you. Uh, I'm calling uh, in uh, the summer of 1966. I was 15 years old, worked for Singer Corporation, the sewing machine people. Yeah. And um, they were sponsoring a series of Motown concerts that summer. Uh, in uh, Forest Hills, at uh, I guess it was the Singer Bowl back then. The opening act was Stevie Wonder, who I think was about 15 or 16. He's wow. probably a little older than I am, maybe a year or two older. He did fingertips. The Four Tops came in and sang all their great tunes. And then and he sang... Hold on a second. Joe, your line is going in and out, and I want to make sure we can hear you. So far I heard four tops were there. Stevie opened up. Four tops were there. And then who else was after that? Marvin Gaye was the closing act. Oh. <laughs> Man, that was. And, uh, he, and this, was, this was when Tammy Terrell was in the hospital uh, with uh, brain cancer. Oh, man. And they had. You're All I Need to Get By was the number one song at the time. And uh, it was the last song of the concert. He played it, or he sang it, and he said he implored all the women in the audience. He said, all you sisters out there, blue-eyed, brown-eyed, I want you all to sing Tammy's part. And there were three women sitting behind me, and they could have been the Pointer Sisters. Their voices were so great. Um there was a dry eye in the house when the song was finished. Wow. Best concert. I've seen a lot of concerts over the years. That was the best concert of my life. 
Wow, Joe, I got chills when you was talking. That was amazing. Right in Forest Hills, we had no idea. And I was a kid just like, I don't know, 20 minutes away while all that was happening and had no idea until this moment that that had ever happened in Queens. I wish there was somebody with footage of that. Joe, thank you for sharing that. That is an awesome, awesome memory. And by the way, you just you just triggered something. What was the best? We can do this next hour. What was the best concert you've ever seen? Joe just said it. You know what? When you go to, and like I went to a, as soon as you said that was the best concert you ever saw, I remembered the best concert that I had ever been to. And I have been to a lot of concerts. And I and when you are at the best one, the one that just stays in your mind as the first one you go to, this was the best one I've ever been to. You know what it was. Joe, what an amazing story. Thank you. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? You're welcome. 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-WABC. Remember, Princess Di comes up in the next hour. Remember, Cousin Brucey later tonight, Music Radio, WABC. Let us go to Jay in Ohio. Jay, what part of Ohio? I'm in Northeast Ohio. Cool. Talk about uh, January 6th. Go ahead. All right. Rudy Giuliani pointed out that there were no guns, so there could not be an insurrection. Okay. They, They took away his law license. Because they are afraid of him. Rudy Giuliani is a great prosecutor, so they defamed him. Rudy Giuliani is a national treasure, and we're so glad to have him on our air on WABC six days a week. All right. The point that I, the other thing I wanted to say is that. Mm hmm. January mm-hmm. 6th, mm-hmm. January 6th was a setup, right? All of those people that they were there because they were protesting the election, which was stolen. That's the, that's the truth about January 6th. Okay, people were now, there, they had the right to be there because of the stolen election, and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that. All right, Jay, I'm going to stop you right there because time's running out. I will say that the national press would say, wrong-o, it wasn't stolen, and you're a denier. But you have a right to your opinion. And this is James Golden. This is our Saturday morning extravaganza. This is Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, the late Marvin and the late Tammy. I'm going to call for that sound bite. Let's see. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Here we are, our number trio on WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You are welcome to participate. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 
8489222. And this hour, let us, I, I've been teasing this all show. Let's do this right now. Um, I'll tell you how we're going to start this. Let's start this with hearing from uh, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. That would be cut for Diego. No, it's not a problem for kids who are seeking a good education. Drag queens, okay? Let me say this. Drag queens, not only are they not hurting our kids, drag queens make everything better. Drag queens are fun. Drag queens are entertainment. Um, and you know what I'll say that was totally not poll tested? I say this. A drag queen for every school. Okay, now that may have been a little bit difficult. Let me give you the just the, the, the takeaway. A drag queen for every schools. Drag queen, they make everything better. That is, again, this woman <clears throat> is Michigan Attorney General, Democrat Dana Nessel, a drag school, a drag queen for every school. Our very own Eric Adams, mayor of New York, who presides over at least 242 uh, uh, failing schools in the New York school system, issued his own statement on June 16th at a time when our LGBTQ community plus communities are under increased attack across this country. We must use our education system to educate. The goal is not only for our children to be academically smart, but also emotionally intelligent. Drag storytellers and the libraries and schools that support them are advancing a love of diversity, personal expression, and literacy that is core to what our city embraces. That's Mayor Adams. You know... I, 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 this all started because there was a story a few weeks ago about a Dallas drag show, and there were kids in the audience. Now, I mentioned here, when I was young, one of the things I did, I went to a concert at the Apollo Theater, and we saw the Jewel Box Review. Jewel Box Review, they build themselves as female impersonators, 25 cast, 24 of them were female impersonators, one woman. And you couldn't tell who was who, by the way. But they did an act. But there was, it wasn't anything sexual. It was, well, it, it looks overtly sexual about it. It was entertainment. I don't know when this, and it is a nationwide movement now, with drag queens in elementary schools reading to children. And it now has the support of Democrat, Democrat politicians. There are two, the Miami Herald this week published a piece arguing that if Republicans in Florida are so preoccupied with safeguarding parental rights, then they shouldn't have any issue with parents taking little children to drag shows. And they weighed in on the whole 
of course, they go back to their talking point of don't say gay bill, which doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. So it's just, this has now become a national topic. This drag queen in school business. I don't know how anybody could say that drag queens performing, doing anything all in in schools is anything other than an attempt at grooming young children or at least normalizing the lifestyle to young children. Now, I, I remember I talked to somebody the other day who's 40 now. He said, you know what? We didn't even get sex ed until we were in, like, sixth grade, seventh grade. Anything below that was too young. And I just don't understand for the life of me why these this, this administration, why am I saying the administration? Because they're involved, too. I'll get to that in a second. Why all of these Democrats are intent on putting this before children, young children. Now, if it is not an attempt to normalize or to groom, what is it? Here is another story today. The Biden administration's U.S. Department of Agriculture has plenty to worry about. What's making their campaign pitting transgender policies against food security even more baffling? Last month, the USDA announced it will expand its definition of sex discrimination to include sexual orientation and gender identity. This means now anyone who helps distribute food aid must deploy divisive transgender policies, like allowing men into girls' bathrooms or they risk losing federal aid. What this means is, to cut all this short, unless every school in America complies, every public school, every school that gets federal aid, unless they comply with the Biden administration's transgender policies, regardless of age, letting boys use girl bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera, and it goes beyond that, Unless they do that, they will not be entitled to school lunch money, period. So the Biden administration says you either obey us on this transgender outlook or we will starve your kids to death during, well, starve them while they're at school. No school lunch money for you unless you comply with this. This is extortion. This is just nothing short of extortion. Democrats have made this an election year issue. I don't understand why. Maybe you do, because I don't believe that most parents in the United States are at all in favor of this. And and by saying that, I don't I don't say that most parents are discriminatory or they have they don't like transgender people. I don't think it's anything like that. They just think that they don't want their children exposed to this at an early age 
and when the children get older and can put things in context for themselves, then that's the appropriate time. They shouldn't be indoctrinated. They should not be indoctrinated by the Biden administration, by the Miami Herald, by Eric Adams, or by this district attorney in Michigan. Do you think that if there was a pro-life group reading to children, that Democrats would tolerate that in public schools? Do you think for one moment that some group of pro-lifers got together and called themselves something-something for life, and they formed a nonprofit, that they would be invited in to public schools in New York and Miami or anywhere else to read to children? Or do you think that there would be an objection to it? I have no doubt that if that ever happened, there would be plenty of objections. And if what we're getting, all of this, let us play Diego one more time, cuts one and cut two, a back-to-back this time. This is part of the what we're getting now with these young children. Both of so- these girls are young. They're not they're barely teenagers, but this is the result of all of that. Go ahead, Diego. I've been so annoyed lately because lately there's been a lot of people saying the girls as like a term of expressing themselves. And it just irks me. The term the girls originated from the trans community because that's something that they use to kind of just like talk about themselves, specifically the girls in the community. You could say it's like slang within the community, but yet again, just like a lot of things of LGBTQ culture, like voguing, it's got sissified. Yeah, that's not a word, but I made it a word. I understand the girls is a very simple term that people would resonate with, but at the same time, like us trans people had one thing and you guys have to take it. You see that tear? I'm crying. I'm just tearing up from the situation. But nonetheless, that's how I feel about it. That's my hot take on it. I've talked about it multiple times on my channel, but no one seemed to listen. So hopefully you guys will listen this time. So neo-pronouns are any set of pronouns that aren't officially recognized in the language that you use. Someone might use neo-pronouns because uh, officially recognized pronouns might give them dysphoria or using neos could give someone gender euphoria. I use them because they give me euphoria um, because I really enjoy confusing people with my gender identity, which sounds kind of weird, but... It gives me euphoria, so whatever. I really like using they, them, and Fayfair in conversation, like when I'm talking. And I really like using bun bun self, uh, like if I'm texting someone or I guess just on the internet. Um, that's, that's the way I like using them. So an example of Fayfair pronouns could be, I really like fair jacket today. It's fair favorite color. Faye like the color purple. And an example of bun bun self pronouns could be bun showed up on my for you page today. Bun really likes using neo pronouns for bun self. This is what your children are turning into, ladies and gentlemen. And on that happy note, let's bun bun to a break and fay fair, bun bun, all that. We'll be bun bun back in a bun bun minute or so. Bun bun, just don't go anywhere. Bun bun. 
It's time for a radio royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Yes, it's our Bun Bun Fayfair, Princess Di, with us. Hi, Bun Bun Fayfair, Princess. <laughs> Hello, Sir James. Fayfair, fair. That would be Fayfair, James. What? Diana, did you understand any of that? Unfortunately, I do understand the overall direction. You understand it? I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't understand what the hell this girl was talking about. My favorite bum bum bin bin. What the hell are these kids talking about? What's wrong with these kids? Well, listen. That's what I'm saying. The details of it change minute by minute, but the overall direction. Yes, we understand. It's it's wickedness, basically. <laughs> but listen, I've been thinking about something. You know, we've got the LGBTQIA plus initials for this movement. And I've been thinking of it. It's kind of like a map. It's it's a journey. You know, we started out with the LG. Yeah. Lesbians and gay gay marriage. We mm-hmm. skipped over B pretty quickly, and now we have landed on the T, which is what, uh, the transgender movement. The drag queens are part of that. So it seems to me that we could put a little arrow around the T and a star. You are here. <laughs> you know, we are on the T. And, and so I said to myself, well, where are we going next? You know, so the QIA is queer intersection asexual, and then there's a plus. So, you know, we started out sort of slowly where there was a fight over gay marriage for for decades. And then since then, it's just everything is going very quickly. And so we're going to move on pretty fast to after trans is their victory. This is the left agenda then we're going to go to these next things now who knows what they're going to demand society do next but it's not good well i still don't understand what an intersexual thing is look i as as you heard me say before i have a lot of um empathy for people that have dysphoria i mean and it's a real thing and D- diane i i admit i also didn't know and one of these days, I have to pull this story out. I read a story that, to me, it was shocking. And that was that um, there was, there are cases when children are born where the gender is not really established. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I mean, well, it used to be called hermaphroditism. Yes, it used to be called hermaphroditism. And now that, that word is politically incorrect. But, James, this is such a small percentage of human beings and the movement is using this small percentage to change our entire society and now they are aiming at the children and that is the point where the parents are starting to engage there was a lot of feeling once uh, the supreme court basically okayed gay marriage people basically said all right we lost that battle fine, you know, live and let live is the basic American point of view. But once 
They started coming from for the children, which the T, the trans community, has done explicitly with this drag queen thing. It's not as if they're saying, you know, hey, drag queens are part of American society or whatever, and adults enjoy, enjoy them some. That I think most people are fine with as part of freedom, but but it's a different category altogether when you're demanding it started with the story hour for children and then you're demanding it be in school for elementary kids and parents are saying no it's inappropriate so that to me is different than accepting that there are people who behave differently but to demand society reinvent and reorganize itself to celebrate the, the, the particulars of these sexual proclivities? No, people are saying, no, we stop here with the children. Well, let us see whether that happens or not. I mean, you have Mayor Adams basically saying, yeah, and, and the, Miami, uh, the Miami's leading newspaper. Yeah, 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 we want these drag queens in schools. I don't under, this this stuff to me is just, I don't know how you can look at it other than trying to groom children into a lifestyle. Yes. yes, clearly. And I don't think they understand how most people in this country are responding to this. Like, what are you talking about? This is nuts. People are outraged at it. And there's, you know, they can't use the usual arguments about, how, you know, this is bigotry and religious, you know, narrow mindedness and all of those things. I mean, they are trying it, but you're talking about the vast majority of parents who are saying this is absolutely not, not my child, not in my school. You're not going to do this. So the, the midterm elections actually are turning on a lot of these issues. As I mentioned yesterday, the Hispanic uh, traditional voter is basically turning away from the Democrat Party because of this. And Biden, as I said, is at 24 percent approval among Hispanics. And that is a political death knell for the Democrat Party. And I don't think they realize it. Well, I hope you're right, because this is I don't know. I got to ask you about an ugly story. And I kind of shied away from this. And I hope I didn't put you on the spot with this one. Um, this Tucker talked about it last night, Tucker Carlson. Uh, this diary that Joe Biden's daughter, I mean, they got laptops turning up with, with, with the son, Hunter, and now this diary with Biden's daughter. And I read one or two of the details of it, and I'm like, ew, what the, yeah. what's going on with this family? Yeah, and that was basically Carlson's point that this is a sick and horrifying uh, record of this man as a father. And he actually called for Biden's resignation, Carlson did. But the details of it are really horrible. And I remember reading about it when the New York Times covered it in November of 2021. Uh, The New York Times reported the Department of Justice was investigating the theft of this diary. That was the word that they used. They confirmed that the diary is authentic. Apparently, Ashley Biden, who is now 41, who has publicly admitted to having, you know, long-term problems with drugs and alcohol. She has, from the time she was a teenager, and she apparently, in a halfway house, left her diary under a mattress 
And someone else came along and was staying for similar reasons in that same halfway house and found the diary. And then, because this person has had issues herself, was trying to sell it, sell the diary. And that information then became public. And the details are awful. And she wrote that she was hypersexualized at a, a young age. And she said, I remember having sex with friends at a young age, showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. And so that is the information that, you know, basically came out uh, months ago, but now is um, because it's being prosecuted by the, the Biden secret police, the FBI and the Department of Justice, the fact that this diary was recovered and they're hanging the legal thread of the investigation and the prosecution of this of this other woman who found the diary on the fact that she tried to sell it. So that's the crime. Because, as you know, that the, you know, FBI came storming into Project Veritas had James O'Keefe's apartment, you know, up against the walls, handcuffed and all of that rough treatment because he was the recipient, apparently, at one point of this diary and never did anything with it, according to James O'Keefe, never published it. He investigated and wasn't able to confirm it to his satisfaction. But that's not uh, an excuse, according to the Department of Justice. The fact that you were involved in, in embarrassing the president, Joe Biden, is enough to put you in the slammer. Wow. Um, again, I you know what, Diana, I... I know that Democrats, if this were happening to, let's say, uh, Donald Trump, they would be all over this. They'd be front page stories. They'd be nothing but wall-to-wall news coverage of inappropriate behavior. But this is so sleazy. I don't even want to talk. I don't, I don't even yes. feel comfortable I, I feel talking the same about way. this. I, it is in a category that is just awful. But it's also not the only thing. The The laptop information that you get about you know, the Biden son who has similar, you know, problems with drugs and alcohol and the the political information in those is I think to land on that is is more important because, yes, these people are screwed up clearly as a family. But the fact that that Hunter Biden claims in the diary that he, he was able to get his father to talk about in policy discussions and in speeches and to pursue policy, anything that Hunter asked him to. So, you know, whether or not that's the brag of, uh, of an addict, I don't know, but that should be looked into. Is it true that policy was decided by Joe Biden as vice president and then later campaigning based on what Hunter Biden wanted him to say and do? That, to me, needs to be investigated, and Joe Biden should be asked. The Clintons, both of them have were on some interview claiming democracy. They they feel that democracy in America could go away. I wish the Clintons would go away, and I mean politically speaking. Just you know, I just I'm just so over the Clintons. Do you anything here worth even discussing? Well, it's interesting because it makes me happy. They're all worried. (laughs) All the liberals. Are really worried, and you know they're using this a poll-tested phrase, uh, 
our democracy. We're losing our democracy. What they mean is they're losing Democrat Party victories. It not, has nothing to do with democracy. As you rightly said, we are a republic, representative republic. But that clearly tested well because they're all, you know, basically it's a mantra, losing our democracy. And both Bill and Hillary said that. Uh, Bill said that on a late night show, we could completely lose our constitutional democracy. And Hillary said that the United States is on the precipice of losing our democracy. And, you know, they basically see the doom of their party happening. And, of course, if people don't agree with liberals, then, of course, then they're, they're, you know, anti-American, non-patriotic, and they need to be shut up, according to the left. So the fact that, I mean, they're... last thing... Go ahead. No, no, I, I'm sorry. We're just running out of time. Last thing for the day, and I'm still holding this stupid this 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 thing, this political article. It moves into week two next week. There are so okay. many things preceding it, but I'm I'm all right. But this one, I Ruth Marcus today. This sob <laughs> sob story. Ruth Marcus columnist with WAP with the Amazon Prime Washington Post. Poor Sotomayor. Oh my goodness, her soul has been crushed. Because of all the defeats, <laughs> to be a to be a liberal on the court is so sad now. It's just pathetic. How does she live with it? And then, by the way, I was surprised. Sotomayor actually came out and said, "Hey, guys, uh, Clarence Thomas is a really nice guy." <laughs> yes, this is a re- it's of a of a similar subject than the one you were just talking about. The title is the soul crushing lot of a Supreme Court liberal. And it is, you know, as you say, a sob story about the wise Latina justice, Sonia Sotomayor, and how can she possibly survive? It is so unusual in an institution that liberals are participating in that they are in the minority. They cannot cope with it. They don't know what to do. How can can we survive? How can she go on? And she says, <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I cry. She cries because she thinks that the credibility of the Supreme Court is at stake and that, you know, the people uh, in the American public are going to basically say that the Supreme Court has no value because her side is losing, which is absurd. Absurd because throughout its history, you've had decisions based, I mean, by definition, you have decisions where there are people in the minority who are in the dissent. I mean, you do sometimes have unanimous votes, but very rarely. So the idea that there's dissenting opinion is so unfamiliar when it's them that, that basically the question is, can the institution survive? Can it go on? And as I said, this is so happy making that the left is realizing their power is is literally ebbing. It's going out. And this is a wonderful thing for America. And I wanted to ask a question. You know, we're yes. talking about what's soul crushing for a Supreme Court liberal. Has anyone asked about the crushing lot of an unborn child amen thank you and on that note and that question we'll call it a day princess diana always a pleasure i just have to make one final thing 
there's uh, now, uh, in addition to tampon shortages and, and baby uh, 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 baby formula, there's a hot sauce shortage. I have a solution. How will we go on? <laughs> go ahead. We asked Hillary. Hillary, can we have some hot sauce? Because Hillary, <laughs> we were told, always has hot sauce in her pocketbook. Yes, that's true. Maybe she can pass some out. <laughs> that's what she told when she was on when she was on black radio. That's what she said. She was trying to pander to black folks. I like hot sauce too. In case people didn't know the context. Thank you, Princess Di. We'll speak with you on next Friday. Thank I you, can't wait. Thanks. Thanks, Sir James. WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Your calls and more coming up. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. W.A.B.C. Talk Radio 77. Laura Brennigan brings us back. Gloria. Boy, you triggered me on that one, Diego. Little be known to you. I met her when this song was out. She came up, guess where, to W.A.B.C. When we were playing the song in rotation, and she, uh, you know, this record went gold, so she came up, paid a visit. Nice lady. Had forgotten all about this one. It's so weird. So weird the way that memories work. You can forget about something. Forget about something, and all of a sudden you're triggered. When I when 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 Diego played this just now, I I had a flashback in my mind, and I could see see that moment, see what she was wearing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like I hadn't thought about that in, in decades. Anyway, there's a story today, folks, in the New York Times, um, and it's Father's Day can be hard. Here's how to handle the holiday. Hmm. For people grieving a loss or facing thoughts about what could have been or what may never be, there are ways to find solace. Father's Day, writes the Times, is complicated for Collie James on one hand. It's a day to celebrate with his two young sons and get that wonderful hand-drawn card. On the other hand, it's a stark reminder that his firstborn child, who died of brain cancer at age five, isn't there to sign it. And the story goes on to say that holidays like Father's Day can be like time machines. If you're grieving for someone, remembering past Father's Days may conjure up a state of wistfulness or longing, even if the relationship wasn't harmonious. That's according to Rebecca Sofer, the co-founder of Modern Lost, Modern Loss is a community, and she's the author of the Modern Loss Handbook. If you're dreading Father's Day or any holiday, you're not alone. Well, what you can do, according to the New York Times, 
is control what you're seeing. You can't dodge every ad. But in recent years, many companies have wised up to the fact that Father's Day and Mother's Day look different for everyone and can bring up a range of emotions. And this year, companies are offering email subscribers the option of um, one company called Artifact Uprising of offering email subscribers the uh, the, uh, option of skipping communications during the holidays. According to the other advice that you can get, go in with a plan on how you're going to spend. Get plenty of exercise, sleep, says grief expert and therapist Claire Bidwell-Smith. And it goes on and on about that and celebrate what you want or not at all. When did we start needing advice on how to celebrate Father's Day, Mother's Day? I mean, I understand. This um, The past year was the first time that we we had Mother's Day since my mom passed. And, of course, you reflect. But we can't handle it, really. My father died many, many years ago now. And, of course, Father's Day, you know, other days you still... I tell you what, you have a choice to be positive and to, you can, if if you had parents like mine, I had the greatest parents on, on earth, I believe. You know, my parents were supportive of us. They loved us. They We knew that they loved us. They were strict. They disciplined us. I bore the brunt of a lot of discipline, I will tell you that, because I was a little bit mischievous. Um, but they also were gentle with us and extremely loving while being strict disciplinarians. And, and, and their memories there that you have that you'll never, ever forget in life. I mean, you, if you're lucky enough to have had parents like I had parents, even when they're gone, there's nothing but a positive. I mean, yes, you grieve, but there's nothing but positive. When you think about them and the influence they had, and I understand not everybody had those kind of relationships with their parents, and and I get that some people may be, um, you know, have have a different kind of feeling about it. But I don't know that there are that many people that, that, and maybe there are, that just find it so difficult on Father's Day or Mother's Day. I mean, yes, and I know what grief is after you, you lose a parent. But I'd rather think that Father's Day and Mother's Day are days that you can reflect. If you, again, are fortunate enough to have had wonderful parents, you can just reflect and 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 relive the positive of your parents. But I say all that to say Happy Father's Day tomorrow to those of you dads. I, you know, I'm, I watch my nephew with his with his with his son. And I I look at amazement with him because he is so, he and, and his wife are so loving and they're so, they just have a level with their child of involvedness with everything. Some people might call that helicopter parents, but I, and, and he is so bright and he is so giving and loving himself. Um, he comes up to me sometimes, and he'll just come up to me and look at me and say, I love you, Uncle James. And I tell you, it just melts me away. Um, but but that's because that's what he gets from them. 
and I look upon my, my nephew and my niece and the way that they're raising their son, and I just say, wow, this kid is so lucky. He's going to have, he's going to have such a good life, God willing, because of all the love that he's getting from, uh, from his folks. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to be in a family like that, if you're lucky enough to be that dad, or you want to be that dad, happy Father's Day. Let's head to a break. When we come back, we're going to end up with phones on Boast Nerdly Saturday Radio Extravaganza. We've got lots of phone calls here. We're going to try to get to every one of them. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurly, here with you. And we're coming back right after this. I think. Well, I don't know whether we're coming back after this or not. Knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. WABC. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Again, happy Father's Day. Each and every one of you fathers out there, let us go to the telephones. Christopher, New Jersey. Well, thanks for waiting. How are you? Christopher in New Jersey. Hey, um, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Finally get to Thank talk you. to you. I first want to wish a happy uh, Father's Day to my beloved uh, radio father in heaven, Rush. I miss wow. him dearly every, every day. I day has not gone by. I don't miss him. Uh, I have to say, I miss you I love and you. me both. By the uh, way, he, he is such a he was such an inspiration to my life, and uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate. It. I never met him, I never spoke to him, uh, but I can't tell you how much of a, a positive influence to this day he still has on my life, and uh, that'll never change. I hope it'll never change. Um, I love your Princess Die segments every Saturday. I look forward to it. Keep them up; they're unbelievable. Um, and then finally, I just want to say that you mentioned the concerts. Uh, uh, when you mentioned what it, my hair stood on my head because I remember 1977, Great Adventures for Casey and the Sunshine Band, and my father put me on his shoulders to watch that concert, and I'll never forget it. It was a magical moment. Um, <clears throat> that was a time when um, the, the runaway train came out too on uh, you know what on uh, Great Adventures, and I got to ride in the front car car at that time. I felt like such a man <laughs> and, uh, going on eight years old. And uh, it was such a great experience. And I'll never forget that. Um, Casey and the Sunshine Band, 1977, The Great Adventures in New Jersey. Wow, uh, Magical time. And that was, that was absolutely amazing. I'll never forget it. Man, uh, oh, man. What a great memory. And your dad put you up on, your, on his shoulders so you could watch it. I'm telling you, folks, I mean, you always remember those great memories in your life. And with the uh, Christopher, thank you so much. What a great call. 
appreciated. Let's head over to Staten Island and talk with Joe. Joe, welcome. You're on WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. How are you, Joe? Okay, James. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate your comments on Father's Day, and I agree wholeheartedly with you and share some of your uh, upbringing similarities, shall we say. Um, I also liked your transition earlier from Marvin Gaye to Rick James back to Marvin Gaye. I mean, uh, Rick Rick James, to me, when I... I hadn't heard him in a long time, but to me, listening to him now, he reminds me of uh, a bit of Earth, Wind, and Fire vibe, that kind of thing. Uh, but Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye, un- incredible. Do you know that there are at least two movies in the can, maybe more, that have never come out about Marvin Gaye because of legal hassles? Wow. And, and I, one know, of them I is- heard there was going to be a biopic on, on, on Marvin Gaye, and I kept yeah. waiting for it, and it didn't materialize. I hope that one day... We get to see a really good movie about Marvin's life. Me too. One of them was starring Jesse L. Martin, who I think would be excellent as as Marvin Gaye. But anyway, uh, hopefully they'll get the legal legal stuff settled and get it out there. Now I want to dial back, and I hope I don't have to say this term too many more times. But back to January sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the National Guard. Nancy Pelosi was in charge of security at the Capitol, as you say. But the commander-in-chief of the armed forces of the United States, including the National Guard, was Donald Trump. Now, in addition to that, every state in the United States, the National Guard has an obligation to also serve the governor of that state. And I know where I'm talking from because I served in the National Guard. But anyway, uh, every state, they report first to the governor of the state. The only exception to that is Washington, D.C., because there is no governor. It's not right. a state. Right, there's a district, right. Correct. So they report directly to the federal level. Now, do you know who the commanding general of the National Guard is? I do not. It, unfortunately, it was also Donald Trump. So he could have just, Nancy Pelosi could protest all she wants, Schumer, the D.C. mayor, whoever. He could have ordered, and I think, frankly, uh, James, he should have ordered the National Guard immediately into D.C. Not doing so, uh, militarily speaking, it's a dereliction of duty, but I don't want to go there. I just think he should have ordered them directly in there. Nancy could scream all she wants. Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> I'm going to look into that, because, and I don't doubt you at all. I just want to read further into it myself now that you've piqued my interest in it. I'll tell you what, though. I think that this this notion that the Democrats are doing with this phony show to try to put everything on Donald Trump I think it's just despicable. I think this kangaroo court where you won't allow Republicans. Look, this all could have come out in testimony, but you at least should have allowed the Republicans that wanted to be on this committee to be on it. This whole thing is a farce, and it is a political show, and nothing will ever convince me otherwise. This is a political show put on by political hacks. I'll give you the last word, Joe. I 100% agree with you, James. I just think on that one point, he could have and should have sent them in there. They could protest all they want. I'm sure I, I don't want to even shouldn't go back to this as an example, but uh, President Nixon, when he ordered the National Guard into Ohio, unfortunately, uh, he didn't consult with anybody. I'm sure he didn't say, "Whoa, what do you think?" You know, he just they just You're went talking in there. about Kent State. Unfortunately, I am, James. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. sent them in there. Now, but Donald Trump could have, could have sent them to troops in there as a protective device. And I understand when they also were finally sent, 
that they weren't armed. That's crazy. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And here's what anyway. I remember from January 6th. After, after all that happened and after January 6th was over and the Democrats brought them in, they didn't even have housing for them. These people had to sleep in, right. in parking garages. They right. were mistreated by the Democrats, and we never really got anything by way of an apology for that from the Democrats. Joe, absolutely you're br- right. Not even an admission of that. You're absolutely right. Yep. Joe, you're a brilliant caller. Love you, man. Thank you for calling. Appreciate you. Hope to hear from you again. WABC, we are closing. Now, let's see where we can go. Mike, Long Island. How are you, Mike? Thank you for waiting. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, listen, um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people say you're like a breath of fresh air and all that statement, but now nah, you are more like the mink glove that Rush spoke about. You are so smooth and soothing. Even on the hot topics you have, you are just so smooth and very relaxing. And also the topic you uh, brought up as far as uh, just about music and uh, what, what was our favorite concerts, our best concerts. Well, I'll tell you what it wasn't. For me, it wasn't a RuPaul concert, but Ooh, my mm, favorite okay. concert was <laughs> what it was was a uh, small venue out in Deer Park back in the late '80s, early '90s. It was a small, like supper club type of a place. And yeah. The Righteous Brothers, it was the <gasps> Righteous Bill Medley and and uh, Bobby Hatfield, with about an eight-piece band and about a it was like a wedding. That's how many people there were there. And it was the most fantastic experience. It was, it was more than a concert. It was an experience. Bill Medley walking around with the wireless mic back then. I think I was fairly new. Singing, uh, you know, uh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And oh. then, you know, chills. And then Bobby Hatfield. One and only Bobby Hatfield singing Unchained Melody. Um, the Blue Eyed Soul to the, to the Max. I'll tell you what. I, I played. I played the Righteous Brothers. Uh, for my niece about about a month ago. She'd never heard them, had never heard their music, and blew her mind. The Righteous Brothers were just, I mean, you talk about it, just a great, great vocalist and great music. You, wow, Mike, great, great, great memories there. That's a concert I wish I could have seen. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it so much. Wilbur in the Bronx, New York. Thank you for waiting. What is on your mind this morning, Wilbur? Hey, what do you think about what Henry Kissinger said at Davos about Ukraine? You're an expert. What did Henry Kissinger, what did did Henry Kissinger, Dr. Kissinger, what did he have to say? He said uh, it's very dangerous in the Ukraine. We got to, like, start uh, cooling it down. We might blow up the planet. Here's what, don't. You know, here's what I think. I think that Russia, I don't think it's going to blow up into World War Three because nobody wants World War Three. What I think what most of the world wants is to see Russia walk out of there humiliated. And I think the Ukrainians are doing a fairly good job. Yes, I know that they've taken severe losses. I just read a story today about how Ukrainian citizens are poisoning Russian troops with berries. They know the Russians are going to steal them, so they're poisoning their fruit supply. Russians are eating them and getting sick. I'll tell you what, the Russians have bitten off a lot more than they thought they were when they went into Ukraine, and I don't think it's going to blow up into a worldwide conflagration. I certainly hope not. But um, I think the Russians, this is going to be bad news for them. And I do think 
one way or another, and I'm not wishing for anything. I just think that Vladimir Putin may not be uh, in, 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 in this position that he's in too much longer. And I certainly am not wishing for him to have ill health or, or these reports about his health. I'm not wishing for anything. I think that if you're looking at the, all these oligarchs who are having their, their possessions retaken from them and the economy is, is, is going spiraling out, I don't know how much longer any leader would be able to, uh, to hold on to power with such a failure and an abject failure in front of the entire world. Author, Boca Raton, Florida, thank you for waiting. You're both, hey, it is, wow, time's running out. What's on your mind this morning, Arthur? All right, I'll do it as fast as I can. You know, a light bulb went off when I was listening to you about the transgender and the, and the schools, et cetera, et cetera. Everything they do is to divide the people of this country. There is really no motive other than to divide us and have us fight with each other. Divide and conquer. That's their plan. They bring up these silly they're not silly. They bring up these issues. And, of course, there's going to be two sides. And people get passionate because it's about their kids. It's all about dividing us. Thank you, Arthur. You have certainly nailed that brevity, the soul of wit. Thank you, Pat. Bronxville, New York. Got to go quickly. Time's running out. Shirley Bassey. We used to go down <laughs> every and see her when she appeared in New York. You ever hear of her? You heard of her? Of course I've heard of I've watched Shirley Bassey on TV. Of course. She was an amazing. She was she was there up up there in stature, kind of, with Ella Fitzgerald and all that crew. Heck yeah. yeah. Amazing she, entertainer. She could sing without a microphone. That's how phenomenal she was. Every year I used to go down with my husband, and we'd go down and see Charles Aznavour. Also, when he appeared in New York every year. Got to love it. Pat, you got the last word today. Time is out, folks. We'll be back next Monday, on Monday, for Boast Nervous Rush Hour, 4 o'clock p.m. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. We'll see you on Monday. Bye.